That's Deuteronomy chapter 33, beginning with verse 26 through the end of the chapter. There is none like, uh, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine, whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, as we approach the end of another year, and as we indicated the end not only of another year, but the end of another decade, I thought it, would, it was fitting to draw from uh, the words of Moses in his final address to the children of Israel uh, a meditation and exhortation for the people of God as we enter, as we exit one year. We don't want to presume. We're, we're not in a new year yet. We're still in the old one. But as we exit the year that is before us, just a word of meditation and exhortation from uh, this leader of God's people. Now, holding in mind that Moses had led these people uh, nearly 40 years, not probably not quite or maybe a little more, but nearly 40 years as God's anointed leader. Uh, he is the one that God had raised up to confront uh, a, a Pharaoh and, and demand that Pharaoh would release the people of God from a, a very tyrannical and a, uh, a very cruel bondage and a period of servitude. Upon their release, Moses is the one as they face the daunting ocean that was in front of them and a, a pursuing army behind them. Moses is the one who offered the, in the midst of that, that situation, he offered uh, what I would consider to be immortal words. As the people were fretting and the people were complaining, Moses said, be still and see, and I love that phrase, be still and see the salvation of the Lord that he will perform for you today. Now Moses, in his leadership, he endured much. He endured much complaining he endured many attempts to overthrow him, to usurp his authority, and in fact, at one point, they were real early in the journey, they were really looking to stone him or to have him replaced. Uh, Moses, uh, at times, and you can understand this, he was not always, he, was, he wasn't always patient, but he, he lost his patience. In fact, that's one of the reasons he is offering these final words because the Lord would not allow him to enter into the physical promised land with the people of God because he did lose patience. And at one point when the Lord told him to speak to the rock, uh, he struck the rock. Uh, earlier the Lord had called him to strike the rock to bring forth water for the refreshment of his people. But even though Moses lost his patience at times, uh, he was also 
also willing to stand in the gap for the people of God. When he came back from Mount Sinai with the commandments that God had given him, and the people were, as he's returning to the camp, and, and Moses has the, the, the stones under his arm, and, and he hears something coming from the camp. Now, he has just been in the presence of God on behalf of the people, and, when he, and God has given him the Ten Commandments, and lo and behold, they're in the camp breaking the first two. And Moses becomes angry, and, and, and at that point, remember, the Lord brings a severe judgment on the people, and then at the end of it, the Lord tells Moses that, you know what, Moses, I can just kill him right here. And I'll just take you and I'll raise up another group of people from among you. And Moses says, oh, no, Lord. And he, and he intercedes and intervenes on behalf of the people. Uh, and the Lord relents or the Lord just allows his, his passionate leadership to come through. So even though Moses had endured much, and even though he had, his patience had worn out, here he comes at the end of his journey, and he's ready to, to now go to be with the Lord. And what he does is he finally, he gives them a final word from the Lord, a final word of blessing. And what Moses is doing in this pattern of, of a final, of a farewell address, he's following a pattern that has been established by the patriarchs. And we see it especially with, with, with uh, Jacob. In Genesis chapter 49, towards the end of his life, as the Lord lets Jacob know that he is about to die, Jacob calls his 12 sons together, and he both prophesies on their behalf, and he gives them a word of blessing. Moses, now, in this instance, he is following that same pattern. His address follows that same pattern. In verse 6 through verse 25 of this chapter, he addresses the 12 tribes who are the 12, who are the descendants of the 12 sons of Jacob. And he addresses the 12 tribes in the same way that Jacob addressed his 12 sons. And he gives them not just prophecies, but he gives them blessings according to their particular tribe. However, when he reaches this point in his address, in verse 26, he ceases, to, or he, he doesn't address them individually by tribe. In verse 26, he begins to address the tribes collectively. And one of the reasons for that is because even though they consisted of 12 tribes, God still saw his, his covenant, he sees his covenant people as one. And so he addresses them in the singular rather than according to their tribe. And as he addresses them in this collective sense, his intention is to give them encouragement and exhortations and comfort as they face this new phase of the journey. They've just about come through the toughest parts of it. Now what is before them is the Jordan River and, and the land of Canaan. They've gone through battles, they've gone through ups and downs, they've gone through periods of plague, they've gone through all of these things, and Moses is not going to be with them for the things that lie ahead of them. And for this reason, the Lord now uses this opportunity to give Moses an opportunity to address the people of God, and in doing so, Moses gives these words of comfort, and these words of exhortation. 
Now, as we look at it, I want to focus on three things by way of, of application to the people of God, as well as a, a means of exhortation for the people of God as we too come to the end of a particular phase of the journey and set our eyes on what is before us. Now, in doing so, I want to focus, as I mentioned, on three things. The first thing is the first thing to notice is the twofold description that Moses gives of the people of God. He describes them in a, in a twofold manner. In verse 26, he refers to the, the, the children of Israel as Jeshurun. Jeshurun, a very interesting word, by the way. It only occurs four times in the Old Testament. And three of the four times are right here in the book of, of, of Deuteronomy. In fact, two of the three four times, or two of the three times that it's mentioned in Deuteronomy is right here in chapter 33. It's mentioned in chapter 32, verse 15. It's mentioned in chapter 33, verse 5. And then he uses it, uses it in a particular way here in verse 26. The only other place outside of the, the writings of Moses that Jeshuaron uh, appears is in Isaiah 44, verse 2. And again, that passage is in conjunction with the coming Messiah that would come to Jeshuaron. Now, the reason I, I say it's an interesting word is because it, it's not, it's, I would call it almost a pet name of God for his people. It's, it's almost like a, a pet name. In other words, the, the word is, it's a poetic form of a Hebrew word that means upright or just. Now think about that for a moment. Just or upright. And by just, what we mean is one who is in right standing. And so in a, a legal right standing. So here's what Moses is saying to the people. The way he addresses them is that he calls them upright. Think about that for a moment. Upright. Moses is calling a people upright in spite of all of the negative things that he has heard from them and experienced in their midst. Moses still, no matter, and, and not only what he's heard from them and what they've done to him, in spite of the things that he knows about them, but as he gets ready to depart, Chapter 34 records the death of Moses, but as he's getting ready to depart, he refers to them with God's pet name for his people. He calls them Jeshurun. Now understand that at other points along the journey, God calls these same people hard-headed, stiff-necked. He calls them gossipers. He calls them all of these other things. But as Moses gets ready to depart, he refers to them as Jeshurun, upright, righteous, you righteous people. But then here's another phrase that he uses. The second phrase that he uses to describe them is in verse 29. Not only does he call them, does he call them righteous or upright, but in verse 29 he calls them, in our English translation, it says happy. And I must say, that the English translation here is a little, a little misleading. And it's not only misleading because of what happy means for us. Happy, when the English word happy is really an emotional state. And it's an emotional state 
that is contingent upon any number of things, whether it's internal or external. Happiness is. And the flip side of happiness is that you can be unhappy if certain things change or don't change. So in any event, happy is, is, is really sort of a, a weak word to capture the Hebrew word that's translated as happy. Because the word that's translated as happy is also uh, translated in other places as blessed. And so Moses is not saying that they are happy in the same way that we would say, are you happy? You know, or what can I do to make you happy? No, that's not what Moses is saying to these people. He calls them blessed. And the word that is translated as blessed, and we've talked about this in our discussion through the Psalms, anytime blessed is used in conjunction of the people offering blessings to God, it is ascribing to him the majesty and the worth that is due the excellence of his person. But anytime people are the recipients of that term blessed, it means they are highly favored. And so what Moses says to these people is that they are highly favored. Now hold in mind, he doesn't say you will be highly favored. He doesn't say you will be blessed or you will be, or this is something that is held out to you, or you will be blessed as long. There are no strings attached. There are, there's, there's no contingencies there. He simply describes them as an upright, blessed people. Brothers and sisters, here's our first observation in terms of application. As we end, end one year, as we who are the people of God, I think it's important for us to have a right sense of who we are individually as well as who God's people are individually. Because sometimes we will either, we sometimes get so caught up in the things that we go through in this life, our own experiences, our flaws and our failures, and we think that if I can do this, then I will be. Or how many times have we heard people say, well, I'm not going to let so-and-so stop my blessings. Can I tell you something? No one can stop your blessing. And I think Christians would do well to stop using such language as someone blocking my blessings. Because what Moses says is, you are blessed. And so as we end this year, I think we have to remember that we are the highly favored of the Lord. And there is nothing that we can do and there is nothing that someone else can do to us. And there's nothing that goes on around us that will stop us from being the highly blessed of the Lord. Let's look back at the 40 years that Moses has had with these people. And what has his experience been? Well, no sooner had they crossed the Red Sea, they started complaining to God about water to drink. No sooner had God provided water for them to drink, they're looking to find another leader, and yet God is feeding them manna every day. He gives, them, he, he gives them quail in the evening. God has fought battles for them. God made a donkey bless them. God does all of these things, and yet they still said at some point in the journey, you know what? We miss the onions and the leeks of Egypt. 
And Moses says of those people two things that we need to be mindful of as the people of God as we enter a new year or as we exit an old year because otherwise we will try to shape the new year according to wrong ideas. Here's two things that we need to know. A, if you are in Christ, you are blessed. And if you are in Christ, you are upright. That's good for us to know about ourselves. It's good for us to know that, that you are not the whole. Look back, at your, look, at, look back at the year. Take your time. Look back at the year and see all of the mess ups. See all of the wrong turns that you took. See, see those things that you knew better than. And hear God say to you, Jeshurun. That's who you are. His pet name for you. You are the upright. And God is not taunting and God is not teasing. You are the upright. You are the righteous one because you are hidden in the righteous one. But brothers and sisters, not only do we need to be reminded of how God sees us and and the favor that we have with the Lord because of our position in Christ. But don't we need to be mindful of that as we deal with others in the body of Christ? As we exit this year, should we not be like Moses to be able to turn to those that perhaps have, have done us wrong and those who we have ought against? And wouldn't it be helpful for us to see them as God sees them? That's what Moses is doing. I'm, I'm going to depart. If there was ever a time for him to really tell the people what he really means, it's when he's about to die. But he doesn't give them peace of his mind on his way out. He sees them through the lens of the righteousness that covers him. And on that basis... As Moses is looking into the face of the very ones that have given him nothing but heartache for all these 40 years. Some of them had died, but their children were there looking just like the the parents. (laughs) Moses still says of them, Jeshurun, and you are blessed. As we enter, as we exit the year. It is important for us, as Peter says, that everything that we would see what God has purchased as being precious. In other words, that we would see our brothers and sisters through the same lens that God sees us through. He sees us through the lens of his righteous son. So as we shake the dust on another year, And we are mindful of all of the mess-ups that we've done. And yet God calls us righteous. And God has not removed his favor. Let us look at our brothers and sisters as Moses has to look at this congregation, this multitude. And instead of calling them according to their deeds, he speaks of them according to God's word of promise so that he sees them as the righteous ones and the blessed ones. But here's the second thing. 
That brings us to the thought of what the, the basis of the twofold description. Moses' twofold description of the people of God is that they are righteous and they are favored. But what's the basis of that? And the basis of it is really seen in verse 29. The basis of this, Moses says in verse 29, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you. Why? You are a people saved by the Lord. You, what, what makes us righteous? What makes us favored? It's that God has saved us. We have been saved by the Lord. And so the basis of us being the righteous one and the basis of us being blessed is not anything in us. But God himself has saved us. That holds in mind that these people hadn't reached the destination yet. But in a sense they were saved. They were saved. The very fact that God took them from Egypt was the guarantee they were going to get into Canaan. And so it is with us. We are the people of God who are highly favored, and I don't mean it in the brat kind of way that many evangelicals use it today, and I wish they would either learn how to use the term or stop using it altogether. I'm blessed and highly favored. What blessed is highly favored, and what makes you highly favored is not your prayer life, it's not something that you've done, it's that God, by his grace, found you, saved you, and came to you. That's what makes us saved. That's what makes us blessed. That's what makes us favored. And that not only is what makes us favored more than anyone else, but it's also what makes us righteous. Because God has saved us from the clutches of sin and has covered us in the righteousness of another. You see, what the basis of our being blessed, it's the same in 2019 as it will be in 2020. It is God who has done the saving. Whatever improvements we make or need to make for the upcoming year is not going to gain us anything from God, but it ought to be because we have a greater grasp and a greater appreciation for the salvation that has been given to us from God. The basis of our salvation or the basis of this twofold description of being the righteous ones of the Lord and the basis of our being the favored of the Lord is because God himself has saved us. Look at the poetic and spiritual imagery that Moses uses to describe God's salvation towards his people. He says that God is not only the one who has saved them, but he says, he is the shield of your help. And that's kind of in the, the perfect present tense. He doesn't say it in terms of what God was but what God perennially is for his people. He is your shield. And you think about it. I watch sometimes the old films where you see the Roman soldiers fighting and they have shields that will keep the swords or the spears and the darts from coming at them or, 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 or reaching them. God is our shield. And So as we come to the end of another year, Let's look back at, what, at the stuff that tried to hit us, but it's fallen to the ground because God 
is our shield. It's not that folk don't take shots. They do. But God is our shield. And even when we think that we have been afflicted and we have been afflicted, but God is our shield even in that. God is our shield. But then not only does he say that God is our shield, but he is the sword of your triumph. Whatever victory we have, it has come from the hands of the Lord. So Moses tells these people they are blessed and he tells them that they are righteous because God is the one who has saved them. And God is the one who has been a shield for them. That's why I love the phrase when they get ready to cross over the Red Sea, be still and see the salvation of your Lord. And what they saw, they didn't see angels. They didn't see any, anything come down from heaven. All they saw was the unseen God. They saw the winds come down from the, 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 the strong winds that parted the waters. And somehow, that wind is associated with God. See, how, how does he do it? Other places it speaks of him blowing through the, 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 the breath of his nostril, pointed, parted the seas. And of course, that's a metaphor. The point is, God who saves you, saves you as he manipulates those things within the physical order to bring about his intended purpose for you. God is your salvation, and he is your shield, and he is the sword of your triumph. One thing about God as our sword, he never loses a battle. Which means... Any lost battles that we can chalk up to 2019, God didn't, fight, God didn't lose that one. You did. We can lose battles, but because we are the saved of the Lord, we are highly favored, he doesn't, we will, we'll never lose the war. We'll lose some battles, but God won't. Every battle that he fights... He wins. And when God's people lose in battle, it's because God is using their loss to teach them where their sword is and to teach them who their shield is. So we see that the basis of the twofold description of God's people being caught upright in spite of their, their failures and God's people being called blessed in spite of the fact that they are out here in a desert. 40 years in, haven't had a chance to go shopping, no new clothes, no new shoes, and yet here they are, and he still says they're blessed. But here's third and final thing. Moses reminds the people of God what their greatest asset and resource actually is. He reminds them of what their greatest Asset and resource is. Because sometimes, as, and, and this is true of us individually as Christians, and it's also true of us as a corporate church body, that sometimes we think that our asset is the wrong thing. 
or I should say we think the wrong thing is our asset. And we measure our strength by the wrong measuring devices. So here's the way Moses, two things that he says that, that, is, that, that really explains God's people, for the, the people of God, what is their actual greatest asset. And by asset, we mean that which is of the greatest value that is in the possession of the people of God. And what is the greatest resource that we can turn to anytime we need it. Two things that he mentions. First off, he says in verse 26 uh, that God is our, or 27, that the, that the eternal God is your dwelling place. Now, here's why I like that. In, in verse 27, he says, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Here's why I like this. The reason I like this is because right now they're in the tents, and they are in a foreign land. And so it's easy to say that God is your dwelling place when you're only living in a tent. But later they will cross over the Jordan and they will take possessions of lands that God has given them and they will be able to build whatever kind of house they want. And then when we are no longer in tents, but we now have possession of, of our tribal territory and other things, then we start thinking that our greatest resource is the building in which God allows us to live. So Moses is telling them on this side of the Jordan, and it's just as true now as it will be when you enter into the Jordan, your greatest asset is not the land. Your greatest asset is that the eternal God has allowed, has condescended to be your dwelling place. Moses says later in Psalms 90, and one has to wonder if Psalms 90 is an expression or greater expression of what Moses says here. And in Psalms 90, the only psalm that is ascribed to Moses, he says, Thou has been our dwelling place, O Lord, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Brothers and sisters, God himself, not the buildings that we live in, not the neighborhoods. God himself is, as the Lord tells Abram. Remember when Abram went to war against Sodom and Gomorrah and the kings wanted to give him a great reward. And, and Abraham said, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to receive anything from you lest you say you made Abraham great. Only take care of my soldiers. And then Abraham went and cried out to God. <laughs> And here's what the Lord tells him. Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. And when God is our great reward, we, whether we are beggars like Lazarus at a rich man's gate or whether we are seated in the lap of luxury as Job at the end of his life, the greatest resource, the greatest asset that any Christian ever has is that God dwells with him or her. God is our greatest asset. And that's why the writer could say, if God is for us, then who can be against us? There is nothing greater that we can receive. In fact, 
the only thing that the, the land of Canaan was for the people of God was a deposit of what it means for God to dwell with his people eternally because he will dwell with us eternally, not in Canaan, but he will dwell with us eternally on the whole earth. God is our dwelling place, and the fact of God being our dwelling place is our greatest asset. But then in verse 26, we see what our greatest resource is. If God dwelling with us as our, the eternal God dwelling with us is our greatest asset, then what is our greatest resource? And verse 26 says that, uh, when he says, uh, there is none like uh, God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help. If God being our dwelling place is our greatest asset, then our greatest resource is that the God who dwells with us will ride through the heavens in order to help us. That God ha himself has availed himself to our assistance. God rides in his majesty through the heavens to your help. That's, that's a way that we could put that, that, that uh, Moses is saying that God will ride through the heavens in order to get to you to bring the help that you need. Now, sometimes that help that God delivers is water that comes out of a rock. Sometimes it's manna that he has delivered on a daily basis while they journey. Sometimes it's a word of wisdom that the Lord has put among those that he has put you in fellowship with. Sometimes it's a word of warning, but whatever God's people need, God, as we saw in the Psalms the other week, that he says in Psalms 119, that you are, or one, yeah, 119, that everything is your servant. And so therefore God will ride through the winds. He will ride through the heavens. And, even in, and that might even mean our electronic communication. Have you not received a timely word sometime this year? Have, have, someone not, have you not picked up your phone and got a text that was very helpful at the right time or a phone call at the right time? God rides through the heavens to deliver the help that his children need. Because God himself is our refuge, and he's our dwelling place. And as our asset, he is our resource. So therefore, here's what Moses says at the end of the journey. He doesn't see these people as being an annoyance. He doesn't end his message with them to them by saying good riddance. No, he sees in them what he sees in himself a people who are flawed, a people who are, are, are weak, and a people who have been covered by the righteousness of another. He sees in them those who have been saved by the righteous, omnipotent, gracious hand of the Almighty God. And for them, he sees in them blessings because he knows that they are truly blessed even as they are. And the reason they are blessed is because God has saved them. And if he has saved them, then there is nothing that can hinder his purposes for them. And he recognizes that he's not missing out on anything. Some people might say, oh, he missed going to Canaan. No, he didn't. He, he doesn't go to the physical Canaan. But because God is his dwelling place, 
He hasn't missed anything. He will get there when we get there. He is there in spirit, in the presence of God, but he hasn't missed anything. And he also knows that God is the one who rides the heavens to help his people. And it's for this reason that as they go forward, Moses tells them that the the, the enemy will be defeated. The enemy will be defeated and, and you'll walk on their backs. Because you are the upright of the Lord who have been blessed by him. And you have been saved by him. And he has has covenanted himself to you. And he has allowed himself to be your dwelling place. And because he's your dwelling place, everything else in, in creation is used and is put at to his disposal to deliver what he has for you. The year has come to an end, or is coming to an end rapidly, but let us not forget, we are the blessed of the Lord because he has saved us, and he who saves us is our greatest asset both now and forevermore, and even as we enter into 2020, we don't know what the year holds, but we know who holds the year. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and we thank you for your reminder of how you see us. In spite of our flaws and in spite of our failures, we pray that you would strengthen us at the level of the inner man to see ourselves as you see us through the righteousness of Christ. And not ourselves only, but we would see our brothers and sisters, those that you have purchased with the same blood of the Lamb, that we would not see them as enemies, and we would not see them as those with whom we have an ought, but rather we would see them as Jeshurun, and that we would see them as happy or blessed in you. We thank you for the year that has passed and we trust you for what lies ahead. And as we go our separate ways and we go into our homes, we pray your blessings. We pray safety, safety in our celebration as we go through these streets. We know that we live in a fallen world, but you are still our dwelling place. Let us be reminded of that so that our our, our thinking, our speaking, our acting would reflect that you dwell with us and we with you. We're not home yet, but you are our home. So until you bring your kingdom in its consummation, whether we are in tents or whether we are in palatial estates, our greatest asset cannot be lost or gained in a stock market. Our greatest asset is that the Lord of the universe is our dwelling place. Our greatest resource, O oh God, is not what someone would lend or someone would give. It's not a check that's written. Our greatest resource is that you who are our dwelling place has put everything in your service for our good. And you have and you will 
ride the heavens to deliver us and be our help in our time of need. Thank you, Father, for your many mercies and your graces. Thank you for your faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness. And as the centurion has declared, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We pray that those things that hinder us from seeing the beauty of your holiness and the beauty and the splendor of your grace and relishing in it, whatever hinders us from seeing it properly, we pray that you would remove it. Strengthen us to be your people until we are in that heavenly existence that you have promised us where heaven will come to earth. And we will be in the land of the Lord where there is no need for sun and there is no need for stars to shine. It's because the glory of your son will be the light of our day. Thank you, Father, for this year that has been. And we trust you for the one that is ahead. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Before our benediction, I do want to mention Brother Reed. We want to lift Brother Reed and his wife in your prayers as she has recently lost her father. Has she returned yet? Okay, she's still in Jamaica. So we ask that you would please remember the wife of Brother Reed in the loss of her father. Remember Sister Sharon Graham in the loss of her stepfather in South Carolina. Uh, the services, I think, were this past week, so we do want to pray for her and her family. With that, would you please stand and let us receive our benediction. Please enjoy your celebrations wherever you're going to be, whether it's at home, in front of a television, or in a club, or whether you're out on the strip, or whether you're in somebody's house and turning it into a club. We just pray that you would enjoy and be safe and remember who you are and remember whose you are. Now unto him who was able to keep you from stumbling and present you spotless before his presence with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be power, majesty, and dominion both now and forever. Let all of God's people say, Amen.